People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. David Blair is a Democrat running for Montgomery County Executive. He's an entrepreneur and philanthropist who has been active in business, civic, and nonprofit communities for decades, devoted to making Montgomery County a better place for those who call it home. BBNR is dedicated to creating and supporting strong, healthy communities. And so we're pleased to welcome our good friend, David Blair, to Health Gig. It's great. Thank you for having me on. So we want to start with a little background. So tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, a little bit about your career before you entered politics and before your county executive race, which we're going to focus on today. So I'm a lifelong Montgomery County resident. I actually grew up in the Darnstown area, went to school there. And there's no doubt that I was blessed to grow up in Montgomery County with some of the best schools in the country and in our wide open places. Before I ran for county executive, my background, I was in business. I started a healthcare technology company in Rockville in the late 90s and built that company up over a 15-year period. And we sold that business about 10 years ago. And for the past 10 years, I've been very much engaged in the nonprofit community here in Montgomery County. And you're a dad, right? You have six children. That's right. (laughs) That's right. My wife and I are raising our family here. Really, this is still very much home for us. Um, My mom and dad live here, my brother and his family, my sister and her family. And so this is home in all respects. So David, what made you decide to run for office? I always say about you, um, Trisha and I are big fans of yours and we are supporting you for county executive, but we'd like to say that you could be doing anything in your life. You've been very successful, but you've decided to give back. And so what made you decide to run for office? At the core, I know the county could be doing better. With the perspective of having been here my whole life, I've seen the county slip. And I know we'll probably get into many of these topics, but whether it's our schools that are no longer the best in the country, the policy choices that we've made that have made Montgomery County an incredibly expensive place to live, traffic and the congestion that we face every day, the lack of progress that we've made on climate change. Well, I know we'll talk about healthcare and the poverty that's popped up more and more across Montgomery County and the lack of access to quality healthcare. And so those were the things that I saw, but then kind of, and then the why, it's interesting when... After I sold my business, I joined an organization, a think tank in Washington, D.C. called the Bipartisan Policy Center. And they said, if you want to have the biggest impact on people's lives, run for local office, that that's where you can impact people's lives. Um, So that's kind of the Y County executive. And then to your point, Adora, about, you know, I could be doing anything. I'll go back to how I started. You know, I was blessed to grow up in Montgomery County with the, what an amazing place this is. And it's no doubt because people before me made sacrifices. And so this is very much me, you're paying it forward to the future generations so that they can enjoy the same things that I enjoyed. You know, David, when you talk about why the county executive position and local positions are so important, can we sort of deep dive into that? Like, what does that really mean? When you think about your local government, it touches every part of your life. It's weird. I think because we were so close to Washington, D.C., oftentimes when I'm talking to residents, they think about government as their senator or their congressional representative. But local government, it's much more than just schools and public safety and roads. This is really everything from healthcare, it's the environment, recycling programs, building energy standards, access to healthcare, public transportation, economic development. Those are all driven locally. And it's huge. 
we have a $6 billion budget here. That's bigger than five states. So it's a huge local government that very much impacts every part of your life. And you know, something that we know we've heard you talk about is building culture. And even just watching the people on your campaign and just even watching your family and just organizations that you're a part of, culture seems important to you. How would you create a culture in Montgomery County that could actually really make a difference? We're incredibly blessed that we're in a county with such talented people. We've attracted the best and brightest from around the country and really from around the world live here. And so the culture that I need to help instill is getting things done. What's frustrating about Montgomery County is we talk a good game. We have a lot of studies, a lot of pilots, a lot of committees, but we actually don't move the ball forward. And I think that's a unique role that I can play as the executive coming in is to harness that talent and those ideas and actually make progress in meaningful ways. And we've also heard you say too, that you're not that interested in engaging in some of this, what can happen in local politics, right? Sort of the back and forth. It's not important information that people are sharing. It's rather sort of their histories and you're kind of staying above that. And that seems like, again, something that's pretty important that would tell voters what kind of leader you're going to be. Well, it's interesting how there is a lot of kind of mudslinging that's an incredible distraction to the crime. I mean, we're coming out of a global pandemic. We're fighting a climate emergency. Um, our schools are no longer the best in the country. Like we have huge problems that it'll take all of us working collectively together to address. And that kind of pettiness, there's no place for it. One of the things that Trish and I were excited about was your Sierra Club endorsement. We have gotten involved in a lot of conservation issues lately. So tell us about that endorsement. Tell us about your interest in sustainability and conservation and our environment. It's critical. And I think if it weren't for the global pandemic, this would be all that I think we've been talking about for the last couple of years. And we haven't made meaningful progress here in the county. And so the Sierra Club and I are very much aligned on key initiatives so that we can reach our ambitious greenhouse gas emissions goals, which is 0% by the year 2035. And we haven't been doing that. But we can, and actually the surrounding jurisdictions are like Howard County last year announced that 50% of their government's energy was from solar power in two years. In two years, they're going to do that. Over the last four years, we haven't made any meaningful progress on expanding our solar capabilities. And so I'm committed to tripling our solar panel during my first four years. Composting, like we talk about closing the incinerator in Dickerson all the time. But the first thing you need to do is stop sending so much trash there. And the biggest challenge that we have is with food waste. Right now we're sending mm -hmm. 160,000 tons of food waste there. And so I want to start a composting program, just like they did in Arlington County. So this is some of the initiatives that I'm very much aligned with the Sierra Club on. And clearly I'm grateful for their endorsement. And the Ag Reserve, talk to us about the Ag Reserve and what you're thinking about the Ag Reserve. And when people talk about the Ag Reserve in Montgomery County, people are so proud of it. It's like, what, 93,000 acres? Like, is that right? Yes. A third of Montgomery County. And how did it happen and why is it important? And why does it really bring so much energy? It's wonderful. You know, we talked about the previous generations making sacrifices. We had great leaders 50 years ago that put in these land use policies to preserve part of Montgomery County as an agricultural reserve. So it's zoned for farming and it's wonderful. And it's a great place for families to go visit. And it's also a community economic engine. I think the key to preserving it is to better support the farmers that are there. Not to bore you with statistics, but the reserve across the river in Loudoun County is half the size and they generate the same amount of economic output. So we could better support our farmers. I'm investing in like food processing centers. 
I've challenged the community, like why aren't Montgomery County public schools buying their fruits and vegetables from our ag reserve, right? So right. simple things, because clearly that's better for the environment. It'd be better for our kids. So I think we can support our farmers better and that will help preserve that for future generations. Yeah. Again, that whole idea of having people in Montgomery County support people in Montgomery County, like you're big on that, right? Just let's like support each other. It support our neighbors kind of thing. We should all be buying local. It, it, there's so many wonderful benefits to that. One of the things that you hear people talking about in Montgomery County is affordability. So how do we provide all the residents equitable access to education, health, and economic opportunities here? So affordability comes up in virtually every discussion I have with residents. And we actually had an event recently and I was chatting with a young woman and she's married and has three children. She works as an administrative assistant. Her husband's a police officer. They have three kids. They have to work two part-time jobs to make ends meet in Montgomery County. And so a couple of things that we need to focus on, I'd attack this from both directions. One, the affordability of Montgomery County. We don't have affordable housing. The housing costs are crazy here. And so people just literally can't afford to live here. And so many of our, whether they're nurses or first responders or teachers are driving down 270 from Frederick or Howard County to get the job. So I am committed to building affordable housing near our metros. We have ample land where we could do that. This would be housing that workforce could afford. So we have to make it more affordable. And then the second thing is wages. The wages for teachers, for nurses, police officers has really stagnated, has now fallen. Now we're middle of the pack in the region and we're losing a lot of talent. So we've got to make it more affordable and we've got to increase wages. We heard you the other day talking about the police force. Can you elaborate a little bit on your thoughts about what needs to be done with law enforcement? We're in a scary situation now where we're quickly losing our talented police officers. We're struggling to recruit police officers. That's a real challenge. And meanwhile, crime is going up across the board. Serious crimes, petty crimes, you name it. So clearly we've got to fully support our good police officers. We've got to stand behind them. I've had the opportunity to meet with many of them at their police stations. And literally you see them looking at their shoes. They're demoralized. They're tired of being what they would call the political football. Now, I say all that, Dora, and I also recognize there's opportunities to improve our policing. So whether that's with de-escalation teams, whether that's with more mental health resources, with a more diverse police staff would help. So there's things that we need to be doing to improve our policing, but the approach that we're taking is, is not working for our police officers nor the community. And traffic, I guess, talking a little bit about traffic is something that you like to talk about. It's always there, <laughs> except during COVID. <laughs> right, right. right. Maybe that was one of the things that we learned in COVID was in a pandemic, the traffic subsides. It's a big problem here. So a couple of things that I would mention, I mean, one, we've, we've got to fix the bottleneck at American Legion Bridge. We've been talking about that for a decade. And if you think it's bad now, Virginia's already started extending their managed lanes all the way to the American Legion Bridge. So we've got to fix that. And clearly there's parts of 270 that need to be widened. We must have reliable public transit. Ridership on our ride on bus system was down 25% in the 10 years leading up to the pandemic. And then of course it fell off a cliff during the pandemic, but we've got to get people back on reliable public transit. And we haven't reimagined our bus routes in decades. I propose making ride on bus free, which should be a permanent change. So we've got to have a reliable public transit system, but perhaps most importantly goes back to what I said about the folks that are jumping on 270. We need affordable housing here so that so many people don't need to commute. And then the other yeah. one is, maybe we'll talk about this as well, Trish, is jobs. 
we've got to have great jobs here because so many people get in their cars each morning and they're driving across the bridge into Virginia for jobs. Obviously, the jobs were here. That would relieve a lot of traffic congestion. How do we attract more jobs in Montgomery County? It was interesting when I started our business here in Rockville, I didn't know how challenging it was to do business here because I didn't have a perspective. But then over a 15-year period, we had offices in 30 states. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say the most difficult place to do business was Montgomery County. And it wasn't one thing. It was everything. It was everything. And so over the last 10 years since I sold our company, I've put so much effort into answering that exact question. How are we going to start growing jobs here? One of the things that I've put forth is a business bill of rights, because oftentimes you'll hear the permit process, the inspection process, regulations don't work for many businesses. And then really leveraging the assets that we have here in Montgomery County, starting with our small business community. I heard last night we were at the Small Business Association Forum that 90% of Montgomery County residents that are working work for a small business. And so there's many things that we should be doing to better support small businesses. You know, David, what's so unique about you too is that, and as you just talked about, is that you did start a business, you grew a business. And as Doro said yesterday, you know, you know how to balance a budget, you're fiscally responsible, you know how to do that. Now you're going to be a county executive, hopefully, (laughs) that you've got that, you know how to do it, you're going to hit the ground running. What's so exciting or what's different now? I mean, you've run a business, you've built a business, you've been very successful doing that. Obviously, you know what you need to do in Montgomery County. And actually, it makes so much sense. So the more people that know that, the better. But what makes it so much fun for you? Like seeing you doing it, you can just see the energy you have and the excitement you have. Are you having as much fun as it looks like you're having? (laughs) I get so much energy when I'm meeting with residents and having discussions. Like we had an event with military veterans last Friday and they just had really great ideas and simple things like, why don't we have a book club for veterans at our community libraries? So, okay, let's do that. And so, (laughs) so, and then obviously there's much more complicated topics that might come up, but I see the talent and the potential in Montgomery County and that gives me energy. And that's when you see me having fun, usually it's when I'm thinking about, okay, how we can move the county forward for everybody. Yeah. And it was when Dora and I were preparing for the podcast. (laughs) Um, One thing, Dora, you said was David's everywhere. He is working so hard and hard work really pays off. It doesn't seem like you're missing many events. You're talking to as many people as you can. And it's impressive. I mean, David, it's really impressive to see somebody who's taking this role so seriously. Dora, you were saying today that actually just shows what a good leader you are. What's impressive is that you're outworking everybody else, it seems to me, just from what I get. I mean, you're everywhere. That's going to pay off. And I think once people have the opportunity to see who you are it's only going to benefit all of us. But one of the things that I'm impressed with is that David is a humble guy, somebody with a lot of character. And so I'm wondering, David, who are some of your mentors? Who have been some of your best teachers? Well, it's almost impossible not just to think of my mom and dad when you said that. I mean, that's just who jumps up. And my mom was a public school teacher. And I think when you're a teacher, you're always a teacher. And so that always came through from my mom. So it was the push to improve. Like you can do better, David. Like let's redo that work. The values that she would instill, that was very much for my mom. And then my dad, I don't know that there was a harder working person that I've ever met and equally generous. I don't know of a person more generous than my dad, but he's also incredibly creative. And so those are the two people that, that come to my mind when you said that. 
And I'll just mention how blessed I was that my dad was an entrepreneur, because from my perspective, being an entrepreneur did not look difficult because I just saw my dad as like my dad was doing it. Right. And so I think that's what gave me the courage to start my own business. And now, like when people say, well, David, why did you open up an entrepreneurship lab at the University of Shady Grove? It's because I want everyone to have that kind of exposure. Okay. So starting a company is not that hard. You can do it. Like here's the playbook because we really need to foster more business growth here in the county. So I think of my mom and dad, and of course, there's many, many others along the way, but those are the two that jumped up for me when you said that. So what's your day look like? I mean, what time do you get up in the morning and how do you organize it? Because you are everywhere. And again, energized by doing that, but how do you organize it? And how do you recharge? The biggest challenge is balance and really between family and the campaign. And so I get up early and work out and then wake the kids up and I can take the kids to school at least four days a week, if not all five days a week. If I drop them off by 745, I can kind of be anywhere by 8, 830. So or you said, you know, it seems like you're everywhere. And then really all day long, we're meeting with voters. And sometimes they're one-on-one meetings. Sometimes they're group meetings. Sometimes they're Zooms in person. I am literally trying to earn one vote at a time. And that's when you're running for local politics. That's what you got to do. That's what I've been doing for over a year now. And then usually those go right into the evenings. And now we're flooded with the forums. And so we've probably had 20 or so county executive forums. You probably have a dozen or so more coming up. And, you know, that's just another opportunity to meet with potential voters. And so that's what my day looks like. You know, it's so fascinating because Doro knows this. And again, as we were preparing this ability to listen, David, you know, that you've got. I mean, you can listen. And again, we watched you, we saw you, you remember what someone's just told you and the ability to actually then connect it with something you're going to do. And Dora, you often said that sort of in your family, you saw that was something that your dad did, right? That he could Mm -hmm. listen really well, both in life in general and in his work. So do you think you're a good listener? (laughs) And how did that happen? Somebody early in my career said, if you're speaking, you're not learning. Like the only way you can learn is by listening. And you oftentimes I'll joke around saying, you know, as a leader, you can never be the smartest person in the room. And I really believe that you can move an organization or a county forward much more effectively if you're listening to everybody versus pontificating like, you know, what the best solution is. And it's such a privilege to be able to hear people's stories and hear about their lives. And you're having a real opportunity to understand and get to know people in a way that you never would if you weren't running for office. There was a huge surprise from running for office. When Michael and I put down the list of the kind of the pros and the cons four years ago, we never would have written down new friendships, new relationships, inspirational stories. Like we had no idea how our lives were going to change with the people that we got to meet. Yeah. And that comes across too. I mean, you say it, you talk it, and you appear very grateful. And I think that that's another key thing in a leader is that like you're saying, you're grateful for people coming out, even at the event yesterday with some of those folks. I mean, the way that you were able to convey to them, how you're a team with them, that we're kind of all in this together is another really quality we've noted in you, David, (laughs) is that you can bring everybody in and you just have a gift with that. I appreciate that. I guess I've been doing this for a long time and it's a lot of fun. Just on the listening part, sometimes I'll get so caught up in hearing other people's stories, like particularly whatever it might be, that I'll forget to tell them the purpose was they wanted to hear from me, but I actually want to flip the table and actually hear from them. This is your second time around for county executive. And I know you really wanted to win the first time. What are the advantages to having run a race and then now running again? What are the advantages to having done it before? 
most importantly is being more comfortable in my own skin. It was really scary the first time out, you know, meeting with potential voters or in these debates and just not having done it before was, I was uncomfortable. And so I, I feel more comfortable in my own skin now. So my guess is if someone was taking my pulse, it would be lower this time around than it was four years <laughs> ago. That's kind of how I feel like my gut would tell you. I mean, from a kind of, I'll say like a technical perspective, there's lots of advantages because now we know where my voters are. We can look through the different precinct data and we can say, okay, wow, you have a stronghold here and you need to spend more time here. You didn't do as well. So from a kind of that technical perspective, we can take a much more targeted approach to the campaign. But I'd say the most important thing is I'm just more experienced and, and feel better about myself. And it was interesting in our conversation too, that you know, certainly it's been challenging these past few years with the pandemic. And as you were saying that, you know, there's a lot of challenges still ahead of us. And it's something that you're looking forward to helping us solve, which is awesome. How do you see yourself as a problem solver? Because you are one. I think we're at this inflection point of a county, right? So we're coming out of this pandemic. The choices are, are we going to kind of continue with the same old, same old, which I would say is just the schools slowly slipping, not investing in our infrastructure. Or, you know, we can pivot and also we can put this county on a new trajectory where we literally are leading the nation in, in key areas. And I think we can do that. And I think I'm poised to bring that fresh perspective, that willingness to listen, as you described, and collaborate, set those bold goals and move forward. No, it just feels like the right time <laughs> for sure. One thing I know, Dora, we wanted to really explore with David is the party affiliation versus voting the person. I know that means a lot to you, Doro. Times have changed in our political world. It's all so different. And I'm wondering how you think about voting and how you think about parties and all of that. When I am talking about local issues, they are neither Republican or Democratic, independent, Green Party, Libertarian. We all want good schools for our kids, right? We all want a good paying job. We want reliable transportation solutions. We want to breathe clean air and have clean water. These aren't political things. This isn't like, you know, we're debating in the halls of the Washington, D.C. Capitol on, you know, immigration reform or, you know, defense spending or something like that. This is blocking and tackling, delivering local services that are much needed to our residents. One of the things I wanted to ask, because I noticed when we asked you about your mentors that you mentioned your mom first and you mentioned your sister and, and another. You're surrounded by strong women, Michael, and many women leaders in your campaign. So let's talk about women's issues. What's important to women in Montgomery County? Before you move on too far, I want to add one more woman to that. My first job out of college, I worked for Betty Anderson. And Betty Anderson was the former undersecretary of treasurer under Jimmy Carter. And she had a professional service firm, highly successful in Washington, D.C. And I was in the accounting department but I got to watch Mrs. Anderson, who was how I refer to her, Mrs. Anderson firsthand and the courage and the strength that she had. And I remember this one particular meeting, it was in the conference room. Our bankers had come in. It was like first union bank had come in and they were telling Mrs. Anderson that she was gonna have to personally guarantee the company's loans. I have no idea what she said because it was a financial <laughs> jargon that I wasn't familiar with. But those three men packed up their briefcases, like basically apologized and marched themselves right out of that office. And I was just in awe of her. And so Betty Anderson, she's still with us. And actually, she was the first person that I asked to join my board of directors when I started my company. She was my first board member because I thought so highly of her as a mentor. But Dora, I got off on a tangent. You were asking about women's issues. 
Obviously, the front and center is the Supreme Court right now. We need to make sure that we're protecting women's rights, women's health. And from a county perspective, there'll be things that we can do. And so we should be monitoring that, whether it's changing laws or funding to make sure that we're on top of that. But normally, when I'm talking to voters, things that come up more often, childcare. The statistics are shocking. It was reported that three out of 10 women quit their jobs during the pandemic to take care of kids. And so there's more that we can do there. One of our council members, Nancy Navarro, she passed some legislation a couple of years ago, provided $30 million of subsidies for childcare, also to get more childcare professionals trained. I think we can do more there to help moms get back into the workplace. And then just talking about the workplace, the wage discrepancies that we see out there, again, shocking. It's like 77 cents on average is what a woman makes um, for every dollar that a man makes. And one of the things that I would do to address that because I believe that when you shine a light on something, you start to level the playing field, is drive a level of transparency and require any contractor that's doing business with the county to disclose average salaries. So what's your average salary for the vice president, a woman versus a man, your manager, woman, men. If contractors aren't paying fairly, well, then we don't want to do business with them. And so mm-hmm. we've got to level the playing field. So those are just two of the issues that come up quite frequently that I would be keenly focused on addressing. And, you know, again, one thing that you talked about that's probably not just a woman's issue, everyone's issue is the mental health and mental wellness. Can you talk about that and what your thoughts are about that and how that will look when you're county executor? We've got huge challenges with the mental health. It was bad before the pandemic and now it's worse. And the U.S. surgeon actually put out a health alert on how this is impacting our youth. Now, one out of four children are experiencing depressive symptoms, which is frightening. And so I would suggest that we need to use every tool in the toolbox to address this. And so it starts with making sure we're supporting the phenomenal organizations that we have in Montgomery County. So there's this great institution here called the Lori Center. They provide schooling for young children. So this would be kind of pre-K through third grade that have experienced severe trauma. And when you go to this school, you're just amazed that we have such a wonderful place in Montgomery County. And then you're horrified to find out that there's a six-month waiting list for children to get to that school. And if you've had a child that's going through trauma, you can't wait six days, right? So we've got to make sure we're funding the organizations that we have here in the county properly. And we've got to expand access. You know, we talk all the time about more resources within the schools. Yeah, I agree. We need more school counselors. And we're also facing a labor shortage. One of the things that I've proposed, and I've actually talked to Adventist Healthcare about this, is let's put telehealth in all 126 of our elementary schools. And as you may know, mental health can be as effectively treated through telehealth as in person. And this actually is a more efficient and, and perhaps cheaper way to deliver healthcare. I love the idea of teaching mental health in our classrooms, in our high schools particularly. We require our kids to do physical education, right? Like that, we, we talk about PE and exercise, but where's the mental health aspect? And teaching, you know, social, emotional wellness classes to our students is another tool in that toolbox that we could be using. This is going to require a sense of urgency, and we're going to have to be getting all the resources in the community together. We so agree. So agree. And I was just going to say, as you said, things have changed. I mean, it's a whole new world after the pandemic, and things have to change to meet that. And this is one that would just make so much sense. David, how important is trust in our leadership? It's imperative. We saw it through the pandemic, right? Where we had so much misinformation, lack of trust with simple things as getting vaccinated. I actually was able to participate in numerous church services, and I saw how the members of the various churches trusted their pastor or their reverend to give them accurate information because they weren't trusting their political leaders. And when I think about trust, 
I think about impeccable integrity, right? Which is making sure that you're fully truthful. And as soon as you come up with information, revealing it, a level of curiosity around seeking out the best solution, not being certain that you're right, but open to hearing there's a level of humility, right? Admitting when you're wrong and seeking out the best solution. So I think trust is paramount. And then of course, with trust is the level of transparency. So for example, during the pandemic, one of the things that I would have done each week, I would have been in front of a podium with our superintendent of schools, the head of the county council, our health officers, so that the four of us could give one message at one time with a level of consistency and transparency. Because I think that's really reassuring if you're a resident that say, okay, my leaders are all aligned versus getting different information at different times that may or may not be consistent. So what's the responsibility, David, of a leader to pick a great team? It's probably one of the, if not the most important things, it's probably the second, right? So it's either setting the vision or it's the team. And it's probably the team, Doro. And we're, again, we're so lucky in Montgomery County because we have great people right here. And so I've already been meeting with our department heads, um, our chief of police, chief of fire to understand where the talent is, who we can definitely retain. For example, I met with our chief of police, Marcus Jones, who I think incredibly highly of, and the chief who's getting ready to retire, he said that he would stay up for two more years if I won. And so I'm grateful for that. And then I had an opportunity to meet with the assistant chief. So the next five individuals blow him. And I'm thrilled that there's a lot of talent there and I'm sure we won't miss a beat. And so I think as a leader, you're one, you have to identify the talent and then you need to reach out and make sure they stay. So as county executor, how big is your team? Dozens. So a county executive may have 20 different reports, right? So everything from the chief administrative officer all the way through health and human services to permitting, the environment, transportation. And so it's a big team. It's an important job. And does the county executive work a lot with the governor? That's a great question because the opportunity exists. So we have the largest county in the state. We certainly send the most money, tax revenues to Annapolis. And so there's a huge opportunity to work with the governor and our legislators to move Montgomery County forward in a much more meaningful way. And what I've seen is it's very disconnected. There's redundancies. So if the state is working on something, well, then the county doesn't need to work on it, right? Because the state's got it covered. And then the opposite might be true, that the state doesn't need to impose something on Montgomery County if Montgomery County is already working on it. So there needs to be much better collaboration between the two. And I think this is where the county executive could step forward with real leadership and say, okay, what's the big vision for Montgomery County? What do we specifically need from the governor and from our legislators? I'll give you one example because I've already started this. I've been meeting with all the leading governor candidates. We're going to have a new governor. The current governor's term limited. We're going to have a new governor. And this is what I say. I said, the future of Maryland is dependent on the future of Montgomery County. We are literally the goose that lays the golden eggs for the state. And the future of Montgomery County is based on the future of Montgomery County public schools because people are willing to pay more in taxes. They move here. They stay here because of our schools. And I need more resources to support those schools, which will support the county, which will support the state. And so that's certainly a role that I anticipate playing. David, if someone wants to get involved in your campaign, what should they do? The best thing would be to go to our website, blairformontgomery.com and sign up as a Blair ambassador. When you do that, you'll get a t-shirt and you'll get a bumper sticker. And most importantly, you'll find out opportunities how to support the campaign. And that's everything from making sure you're registered to vote or getting a mail-in ballot, participating at campaign events. We're door knocking all the time. And if we're in your neighborhood, we'd love for you to join us. Also, there's opportunities to do letters or emails to your other friends. 
we have templates our Blair ambassadors can send to their friends. So that's what I would encourage folks to do. Go to BlairFordMontgomery.com and sign up as an ambassador. And also make sure we vote, right? So talk to us about that. So this is so important. First of all, the last election was decided by 77 votes, and it's going to be a close election again. Literally every single vote matters. And so don't be casual about it. The primary is set for July 19th. Early voting is from July 7th to July 14th. We've really been encouraged folks to order a mail-in ballot. It's simple. It just takes a few minutes. You can do it through our website. There's a link, obviously, on the Board of Elections pages. Request a mail-in ballot. There's certainty you can vote from home, return it, um, and get your vote in. And don't wait to request your mail-in ballot. I think you have until about mid-June or so to request that mail-in ballot, but there's no sense to wait. Yeah, no. And Dora, you already did that, right? Yes, I requested my ballot. I'm looking forward to voting for you, David. (laughs) And we just wish you the best of luck. We admire your enthusiasm and your commitment to making the place we all live better. And so thank you for coming on our podcast. Well, so thank you, Dora. And thank you, Trisha. And I actually think that we share an equal passion for making our community better. And you're doing the exact same thing with your organization. So thank you. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Dora. Be well.